When was the last time you asked for help? Try to identify it. This would be helpful. When was the last time you asked for help? Maybe, uh, maybe you asked a neighbor for help with the flooding around your house yesterday or something blew off your roof or something. Maybe you asked a friend for help, uh, like, would you pray with me? Or would you, maybe you called a friend and said, I just need somebody to talk to. Uh, maybe you have asked somebody for financial help recently. Just trying to jog your memory. Maybe you called somebody and, and asked for advice. That was the kind of help you needed. You needed some advice. Maybe you asked a sibling or a parent for help with your homework, or you needed a ride somewhere. Maybe you asked your 10-year-old grandchild for help with your phone, or your computer, or your TV. <clears throat> Think of a time when you asked for help. Okay, got it? You came to a place... And sometimes, some of us, it takes us a long time to get to a point of asking for help. We're very hesitant to ask for help. Others of us just ask for help all day long. It's just we don't have a problem with it at all. So, but something brought you to a point you asked for help. Next question, why did you do that? Why did you ask for help? Any examples? It's not a difficult question. What's that? You're just too short. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, we have a lot of tongs in our house, Ruth Ann, because my wife's pretty short, and she can just grab things with tongs like a master. Yeah. Yes, that's why you ask for help, isn't it? Because you need help. You can't do it yourself. Good. Great answer. Here's the next question. What do you sense is communicated in the opening lines of Psalm 77? This is how it starts. I cried out for help. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. In other words, <clears throat> how is this different, do you think, than just asking for help? What is the difference between crying out to God and asking for help? It's the essential difference. What do you think? Desperation. What a great word. Something else? Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. The immediacy of need, feeling lost, you're crying out. That's louder than asking, typically. Still can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Need. Sorry, something else? Faith. Right. You're, you're looking to God, who you cannot see. You're asking for help. <clears throat> Great answer. Yeah, there's a different level of intensity in crying out than there is in asking most of the time. I looked up the word that's translated crying out um, because often if I want to get some insights into a word, I'll, I'll look it up in the original language, I'll, and usually what I'll find is some root word that informs the more complex word that, that's, that, we're, that we're working with, and it helps me understand it. The word that's translated cry out is, the, is this Hebrew word sa'ak, and when you, draw, when you drill down into the word, this Hebrew word sa'ak, you realize you're already at the bottom. It is what they call a primitive root. Okay, so there are words that just everybody knows in every culture, like water. Everybody knows what water is. Water doesn't come from another word. It's just water. This is another one of those words, cry. Everybody knows what it means to cry. Every culture, all time. That word doesn't come from another word. That word comes from human experience. The experience is the word. 
It might even sound like the, the experience and the words sound similar. Cry, cry out, cry out for help. Here's another question. <clears throat> Why did Asaph cry out? He's the writer of this psalm. It's interesting, we're reading psalms, and we're not reading any psalms from David, at least in the sermons. It's Moses and, and the sons of Korah last week, and today this guy, Asaph. Why did Asaph, the writer of Psalm 77, cry out to God for help? We're going to look at Psalm 77 today. I'm going to break it down into three movements. But before I get to that, I just want to share an observation that I've had in the last couple of days. Do the Psalms not feel really intense to you? Are you reading the Psalms with us this year? Are you listening to the podcast each day? We have a short podcast on, on the Psalm for the, for the day. One of the things I'm noticing as I begin my day with the Psalms, and now I'm on my third time to do this in, in a row, is they just feel so intense. Most of the time, most of us, our lives don't feel as intense as the Psalms we're reading. Life feels less intense than the Psalms. Frankly, we don't need a spirituality that is as intense as the spirituality we read about in the Psalms until we do, okay? Until we do, until we are crying out to God for help, until we deal with something that is truly heartbreaking, most of us will only go, go through a truly heartbreaking experience one, two, three, four, maybe five times in life. But here's the problem. We're not prepared to deal with these really difficult times because we didn't develop a spirituality for really difficult times. We just floated along on the surface of a spirituality that is consumed with being safe and being positive and being happy. And there's nothing wrong with being safe and positive and happy until it just doesn't move the dial in your life anymore because your life has gotten too hard for safe, positive, and happy Christianity. And so what happens for many of us is we ditch Christianity when life gets really hard because the only pseudo version of Christianity that we've actually learned how to live is this one which is sad because it's not the real version. There's a much deeper version. There's a spirituality. There's a kind of Christianity that deals consistent, consistently with difficult things, which wrestles with the hardest stuff in life. This is a spirituality that we hear happening in the Psalms, and this is a spirituality that's still available for us today. People think that Christianity is irrelevant to real life. That's only because they're drinking a decaf version of Christianity. It does nothing. It tastes good, maybe, but it doesn't do anything. Now, understand that that observation comes, from, uh, the, <laughs> comes at the end of a really intense week uh, where the intensity of the Psalms felt appropriate, not too intense. The intensity of the Psalms felt honest, felt real in the face of loss and sadness. And therefore, they were helpful. They were helpful. Okay, Pop a lot of popular kind of radio Christianity didn't touch the stuff that we felt this week, many of us. We needed something more genuine 
more persevering, more core, more primal root, right? We need the Psalms this week, many of us. All right, so that's just an observation. That's like a sidebar. Back to the question. Asaph writes Psalm 77, and it begins with Asaph crying out to God for help. Why did Asaph cry out to God for help? Why didn't he just ask God for help? Why did he cry out? He actually tells us in the very next sentence. He says this, when I was in distress, I sought the Lord. Okay, he's, he's in distress. He is in an intense place. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. Why would you stretch out your hands at night? Why would you stretch out your hands at night, right? Sometimes you're trying to navigate a dark room. You can't see. You can't see with your eyes, so you have to see with your hands, it's so dark. Have you ever, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you have to navigate a, a dark season with your hands because you can't see your way through. You can't see a way through, so you just have to feel a way through. Jesus himself addresses this. When Thomas hears he's resurrected, and Thomas, one of his disciples, says, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch him. And Jesus condescends to this level of doubt, this level of longing, this need, this intensity of need. And Jesus says, see my hands and touch my side. Right? You feel your way through. Asaph is the director of worship for King David. Pretty good gig, I think. Hundreds of years before Jesus is born. But Asaph is bringing his distress to God. He's not hiding his distress. In his distress, he's crying out to God. Verse 3. He says, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. My, you kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. So the first movement of this psalm is all about Asaph's distress. Then here comes the second movement of the psalm. And in the second movement, Asaph fires off a series of difficult questions, real-life questions right at God. And these are intense questions, but these are the kinds of questions which are very natural to ask when we're crying out to God in distress. So let's read these questions through as Asaph writes them. Let's personalize them a bit, and then we'll maybe sort of gesture toward possible answers. Here are Asaph's questions in Asaph's words. I'm in verse 5. It'll be on the screen. I thought, about the, I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked. Isn't that interesting? I just caught that this morning. It doesn't actually voice these necessarily. My spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? All right, I think we can combine the first two questions in verse 7 and summarize them with this question. Is God against me? Is God against me? And I think we could restate 
the first question in verse 8 as, does God love me? Can you put these up here for me? I think this will help us follow along better. There we go. Is God against me? And secondly, uh, does God love me? You know things are getting rough if Asaph is crying out to God and he's saying, are you against me? Do you even love me? Most of us, when we're in our right mind, we know God loves me. He's for me. But man, pain does a number on your confidence. Are you with me? Grief has a way of unraveling what we have believed for a long time, genuinely. But grief can really start to unwind that. And there's all kinds of doubts that creep in when things which have always felt stable start to shake. It's understandable to ask God, why is this happening if you love me? That's understandable. This is the human question. Even Jesus asks a question like this when he's hanging on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So these first two questions challenge the love of God. Asaph's, Asaph's next question examines another core attribute of God, which is God's strength. Essentially, his next question is, are you not strong enough? It's almost like Asaph says, do you love me? And then he goes, oh, God loves me. I know God loves me, but he's still suffering. And so then he goes, well, gosh, maybe God's just not strong enough. Maybe he's just not strong enough to heal this disease. Maybe he's just not strong enough to provide this need. Maybe he's not strong enough to fix this. And then his final two questions reflect real despair. Have you forgotten me? I've only read accounts of people asking that question, like accounts of people in prison. Have you forgotten me? And then the last question is, are you angry at me? And I actually hear people ask that question quite a bit. People who are aware of God's judgment, but not aware of God's mercy, and they reason, God must be angry with me. Now, I imagine each of us can relate at some level with these questions. Maybe you haven't explicitly cried out and voiced these questions to God, but I bet if you're old enough, you can at least resonate with the feelings that are articulated in these questions. I bet you've gone through hard times enough to know what it feels like to ask questions like this. Is God against me? Does God really love me? Uh, maybe God's not strong enough, or maybe he's forgotten about me. Or is God angry at me? And I don't, I don't want to respond to these questions in detail. I think, frankly, we miss the point of the psalm if we try to answer these questions uh, categorically. But I also know that some of you are in deep pain, the kind of pain that is articulated by the writer of this psalm. And so I do want to invite you to just briefly hear the words of Jesus and his apostles in, in light of these questions, because I don't want you to feel just totally disoriented. So this isn't meant to be a short, trite answer, but this is meant to sort of reorient or invite you to lift your eyes up to, to Christ and his disciples. The question, is God against me? The answer is no. Jesus says, I am a good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. Okay. To the question, does he love me? Yes, he loves you. Um, Paul writes, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
John says, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God loves you. Well, maybe he's not strong enough. He's strong enough. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's strong enough. Maybe he's forgotten me. He will never forget you. Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come back and I will take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. Never forgets you. Is he angry at me? No. He's not angry at you. Matthew says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. That's the heart of Jesus. It's not anger, it's compassion. We have the record of the life and the teachings of Jesus and his apostles, so may we look to them in our times of distress. I hope that you will look to them in your times of distress. Asaph lived hundreds of years before Jesus was born, so what did he appeal to in his time of distress? He doesn't have the same advantage that we have. He does, he's still looking for the Messiah. He doesn't know his name is Jesus like we do. He's never celebrated Easter. He doesn't know about the resurrection Right? He doesn't have the accounts of Jesus' life and teachings. He's very early in this story. He doesn't even have the whole story. But what he has is still deeply valuable, and it's very true. And yes, he's an Old Testament worship leader. He's writing songs 3,000 years ago. But we still have something to learn from this man, and I hope that we will. Part one of Psalm 77 is Asaph's distress. Part two of Psalm 77 is Asaph's questions. These riveted me in August. I spent August in this, in this psalm. These questions are powerful questions. They're so intense. Part three of the psalm is Asaph's appeal. To what does Asaph appeal? Let's read verse 10 to the end of the psalm. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you. God, the waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. What is he talking about? Here it is. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Do you know the story he's remembering? What is it? Do you know? It's the Exodus, right? From what example is um, Asaph drawing comfort? It's God's great demonstration of strength in the Exodus. And in case that's a brand new idea to you, that's totally fine. The Exodus is the defining story of the Hebrew people. 
After 400 years of serving as slave labor in Egypt, God miraculously delivers them out of slavery right up to the edge of the ocean and Pharaoh, who let him go yesterday, changed his mind, and here comes his army. And they are in desperate situation. They are crying out with all of Asaph's questions and probably many of their own. It doesn't get any worse or more desperate than this. And then God parts the sea. And they walk to their freedom through a split ocean, which then comes back together and consumes the pursuing army of Pharaoh And that's what he's remembering. Asaph remembers this miracle of the Exodus. So here's the last question. What if you don't have a personal Exodus story to remember? What if you don't have a story of rescue? What if you've never experienced a miracle in your life? What if you don't have anything you can point to where you can like, I was going to die, and then God like moved a freight train to another track or something and say, or whatever it is. God reached down. God did the impossible. God split the sea so you could walk through. What if you don't, what if you don't have a personal Exodus story? Here's a challenge for all of us, individualistic, independent thinking about ourselves all the time, modern people. Neither did Asaph. Oh, put that in your pipe. Neither did Asaph have a personal Exodus story. Asaph didn't personally experience the Exodus. He's hundreds of years after the Exodus. The Exodus happened generations before this man was even born. He didn't experience the Exodus, but his people did. Okay, His community of faith did. And their story is part of his story. He is taking their story as part of his story. So when everything's upside down and God seems very far away, what does Asaph do? He remembers God's strength displayed in the past. And we're talking about the way, way past, hundreds of years before he was born. He's not remembering his personal story, but he is remembering the story of his people. And he takes courage from their story of deliverance. Friends, we're invited to do the same thing. The Exodus is part of our story. The Exodus of the the story of God's deliverance is way bigger than your own story of deliverance and my own story of deliverance. But our personal stories are our stories. Of course, they're a big deal in our lives. That's all we've experienced. But understand that they're just a small part of the big story of deliverance that God is writing. Asaph asks all his questions, and then he says, to this I will appeal, to the years when God stretched out his right hand. Right hand's always a symbol of strength of God. And when he remembers the Exodus, which is the climax of the Old Testament, hundreds of years before he's born, he seems to take comfort in that. Hundreds of years later, in the fourth century, there's a Christian leader, a pastor named Gregory of Nyssa, And he's reading Psalm 77, and he comes to this place where he talks about the right hand of God. And Gregory of Nyssa says, that's Jesus. The strength of God is Jesus. Here in the flesh, to live and die as one of us, to reveal the love of God, that's as strong as it gets, that's the strength of God displayed. Gregory of Nyssa, he might have gone through some dark seasons in his life. 
stands to reason. There may have been times in his life when he couldn't see his way, his way forward. He had to feel his way forward. He may have asked all of Asaph's questions. And when he needs assurance of God's goodness, when he needs to be reminded of God's power, when he needs to be assured that God does love him, when he needs to be uh, reminded of the strength of God, he appeals not to the climactic scene of the Old Testament, but to the climactic scene of the New Testament, which is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Was Gregory there? No. Happened 400 years before he was born. But other Christians were there. Other Christians saw the death of Christ. Other Christians saw the resurrection of Christ. And the resurrection of Jesus becomes part of Gregory's story. The line between his story and their story, it blurs. And the, the early Christian story, it becomes part of his story. Friends, there are just two things I hope you take from this sermon today. The first is this. When you're in distress... When you have really intense questions for God, I hope you'll ask him. I hope you'll ask him, like Asaph did. I hope you won't settle for a spirituality that is safe and happy, when what you really need is a spirituality that is real, okay? As real as real life. So if you have hard questions for God, ask him. Cry out to God. You cry out to him for help in your distress. <clears throat> Not after, in it. So the first thing I hope you do is you have hard questions, I hope you'll ask him. And the second thing I hope you'll take from this message is this, that when you're looking for proof for God's goodness, when you're looking for the assurance of God's love, if you're wondering, is God strong enough? If you're wondering, has he forgotten you? Is he angry at you? When you need God to show himself to you, listen, I hope you won't be so self-centered that you just look at your own life. I hope you will have enough wisdom to look at the lives of those who have gone before you. Because their story is part of your story. all his wonderful works of deliverance, all his demonstrations of power, from the exodus of Israel to the resurrection of Jesus. These stories are for you too. Okay? These stories are for us. These stories are part of our story. You can remember, you can appeal to, and you can take courage from these stories. And when these stories become part of your story you're going to make it through the storm. You'll make it. Yeah. You'll make it all the way through. Let's pray together.